Section 89 of The Catholic's Ready Answer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Pyle. The Catholic's Ready Answer by Reverend M. P. Hill. Section 89. Socialism. Its Bearings on Religion. A Snare. Religion is a private affair. The social democracy is concerned solely with the purely secular questions connected with the struggle for economic, social, and political emancipation. Social democracy never asks its followers what religious opinions they hold, and in general its position toward religion is that of a neutral. Von Volmar in the Reichstag, December 5, 1900. The Real Attitude of Socialism Toward Religion Religion is a private affair. This is a sop prone to the unwary. Socialists know full well that their system is very much concerned with religion, and especially with the Christian religion. Its aims and its teachings, as well as the explicit statements of its leaders, prove it to be at variance with the spirit and the teachings of the Christian religion. Christian teaching recognizes the right of private and individual ownership. Socialism ignores it denying as it does a man's right to acquire property, to enjoy the income it yields, to enhance its value, or freely to dispose of it. Socialism, if it had the reins of power in its hands, would make a general seizure of personal and real estate in defiance of the will of the possessor, not by an act of eminent domain, such as obtains under the present system, for it would not include a full, direct, and immediate indemnification, it would entirely annul the private ownership of estates against all natural right. But as the actual possessors of property would not submit to the changes of their own free will, they would be compelled to do so by force. And force is really contemplated by socialist leaders. In most countries of Europe, said Marx in the Congress of The Hague, violence must be the lever of our social reform. We must finally have recourse to violence in order to establish the rule of labor. That an armed revolution will be resorted to has either been intimated or explicitly stated by socialist speakers and writers, as, for instance, by Liebknecht in the Socialist Convention of Ghent in 1877. The army, he says, will, after all, consist of the sons of the people whom we are gaining over by our revolutionary propaganda. When the day shall have arrived, rifles and cannon will of their own accord face about to prostrate the foes of the socialist people. The same sentiment has been so often re-echoed in socialistic journals that it needs no illustration here. It is a common Christian tenet that marriage, which is a permanent union of husband and wife, was instituted by God, and that the wife is subject to the husband. The family, too, according to the Christian conception, possesses inalienable rights, which the state is bound to respect. In a socialist commonwealth, the state would be a supreme dictator in such matters, Matrimony would be succeeded by free love, state-regulated free love, if you will, but not marriage. The wife would owe no obedience to her husband. She would be in all things his equal. Even in the demands for the present set forth in the Erfurt platform, the abolition of all laws which subordinate woman to man in public and private life is insisted upon. Another demand of the Erfurt platform is that the schools be secularized which means that the teaching of religion be entirely banished from them. 
but it is a distinctly Christian principle that secular education should never be divorced from religious training, and a constant effort to reduce the principle to practice is the distinguishing mark of Catholicism, the form of Christianity that socialists will chiefly have to reckon with. Socialism sees in the Christian school its most formidable foe, and it's even in its demands for the present it includes, by way of preparing the soil for socialism, the abolition of religious instruction in the common schools. The dictum that religion is a purely private affair is both false and anti-Christian. Religion would perish if it were locked away in the human heart and could find no external expression. Christianity, moreover, is necessarily and by divine institution a religion that enjoys public as well as private worship. It would consequently be a very undesirable element in a socialistic commonwealth and would not be tolerated any longer than could be helped. Christianity must have its public places of worship, its rectories, its seminaries, its novitiates, its schools, its asylums. And all these things suppose material resources and must rest upon an independent financial basis. But under socialism, all material treasure would belong to the people at large, and the people, or the populace, or perhaps even the rabble, would have the only say in the distribution of it. Now let any reader of these pages fancy a socialistic commonwealth donating a sum of money for the building of a Catholic church. Furthermore, a Christian clergy should be free and untrammeled in the exercise of its ministry. The public offices of religion, attendance upon the sick and the dying, and a score of other essential duties should remove them from the chance dictation of those who set no value upon their sacred functions, and should free them from the obligation of manual labor, which socialists would impose upon all members of the commonwealth without any distinction. Socialist leaders differ, it is true, in the attitude they assume before the public in regard to religion. Some take the bull by the horns and make a frank acknowledgment of what is really held by all leading socialists. The Socialist Party of Great Britain, in a recent manifesto, declared that no man can be consistently both a socialist and a Christian. George D. Heron, secretary to the International Congress of Socialists, makes a clean breast of his sentiments. Christianity today, he tells us, stands for what is lowest and basest in life. It is the most degrading of all our institutions, and the most brutalizing in its effects on the common life. For socialism to use it, to make terms with it, or to let it make approaches to the socialistic movement, is for socialism to take Judas to its bosom. E. Belfort Bax, a leading English socialist, informs us that socialism has been described as a new conception of the world, presenting itself in industry as cooperative communism, in politics as international republicanism, in religion as atheistic humanism. These later authorities on socialism only re-echo the sentiments of the patriarchs of the movement. Karl Marx, the father of modern socialism, once wrote, Religion is the opium of the people. The abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people signifies their demand for a real happiness. Frederick Engels acknowledged that religion will be forbidden. Religion, he thinks, is nothing but the fantastic reflection in men's mind of the external forces which dominate their everyday existence. Joseph Dietzen declared that socialism and Christianity differ from each other as the day does from the night. And August Babel, in politics, we social democrats profess republicanism. In economics, socialism. 
in religion and atheism. And Liebknecht, it is our duty as socialists to root out the faith in God with all our zeal, nor is one worthy of the name who does not consecrate himself to the spread of atheism. Another class of socialist writers and speakers content themselves with harping on the assurance that socialism has nothing to do with religion, and that religion is altogether a private affair, with which socialism has no intention of interfering. We have seen the hollowness of such pretensions. A third class quietly assume that, in respect to religion, things will settle themselves. Bellamy, who made formal profession of socialism in his later writings, takes it for granted that by the time socialism is at the top, religion will have undergone so complete a change as to need neither priest nor altar nor congregation. A man's religious wants will be confined to religious instruction or religious conference, and he can gratify himself in that matter by establishing telephonic communication with some oracle of religious wisdom whose reputation will have attracted to him a multitude of hearers. If a man feels any need of priest or sacrifice or public place of worship, he can have them to his heart's content. On this last point, the writer must have been jesting. We can well believe, however, that in proportion as socialism gains ground, the world will feel some need of priest or sacrifice or place of worship. The influence of socialism must necessarily work in that direction, and that means the gradual destruction of Christianity. Bellamy's speculation on the future of religion are much of a piece with those of the other socialistic writers. But what better can be expected of practical socialism when the philosophy on which it is built is materialistic and atheistic to the core? We are dealing with socialism of the Marxian type, for of this type the socialism that is at our doors professes to be. But at the very root of the Marxian system is the theory of the materialistic origin and evolution of the universe, a theory which rules God and the soul out of existence. With the atheism of this theory, all the leaders of socialism, as we have seen from abundant evidence, are imbued. If there are any socialists who are not atheists, it is because they are made to swallow the bolus of Marxism without knowing what they are swallowing. We have said enough, and more than enough, to show the anti-religious character of socialism. But now a last word to the Christian, especially the Catholic working man. Don't allow yourself to be induced to join any party or organization bearing the name of socialist. Reform and improvement are one thing. Socialism, atheism, and revolution are quite another. You may not believe in the extreme doctrines of socialism, but by helping to swell its ranks, you are helping to popularize a movement which is essentially godless. You are strengthening the hands of men who are bent on destroying Christianity root and branch. You may be tempted by the promises of socialism, but remember that socialism is but a revamping of old communistic schemes which have had their day and from which all sensible men have held aloof. You feel drawn to men who profess a sympathy for the toiling poor, but the truth is that socialists feel less pity for the poor than envy toward the rich. All solid improvement in the condition of the working man has been brought about by means with which socialists are out of sympathy. Honest agitation and well-directed practical movements have done something. Socialism has done nothing, nor is it likely to affect anything in the future. No movement based upon any such flimsy theorizing as we have considered in the course of these articles can ever prevail against the good sense of the people. The very leaders of socialism will differ, as they have differed, on important points of theory, 
and practices, and difference of opinion will lead to the splitting up of the party. Trades unions, in proportion as they are ruled by socialists, will be used as cat's paws to further the ends of socialism. Therefore, keep the socialists out of your trades unions, and there will be no danger of your aims being confounded with theirs. End of section 89. Recording by Chris Pyle.